Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In this new monthly slot, Rubber Cheese CEO Paul Marden joins me to discuss different digital related topics. In this episode, we'll talk about how you can make your site more interactive and the tasks and costs associated with that. You can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Hello, back for a fourth time. Hello. What attraction have you visited most recently and what did you love about it? Shall I go first? I always go first. We've got a format now. Don't break the format. I'm comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Titanic Museum just recently. We were exhibiting actually at the Association of Science and Discovery Centres um, uh, at, their, at their annual conference in Belfast, which was actually at W5. Um, in the Titanic quarter of, of Belfast, and I could talk loads about W five, which I will do in another session. But the the place I went to that I was most kind of emotionally uh, moved by, which um, you know I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a geek and I'm fairly concrete in terms of my emotional stuff. You're so, a bit so for me to feel cold. moved, yeah, this is this is it's normally me that's got the flubbing. Yeah, so I was blown away by the experience at the at the Titanic Museum. Um, I've never been to a museum with so few artifacts, which, of course, is because everything was lost at sea. And so the whole museum is about telling the story through reproductions and immersive experiences, which was all amazing. Um, But then you stumble upon one of the original artifacts as you're wandering around, and and there's only a handful of them, but mm, it hit me like a brick wall when I actually came across them. So there's like... There's a, a a life jacket. There's only twelve of those left in existence, oh, wow. and they've got one of them at the museum. And you walk into this room where all of the names of the, the victims of this tragedy are on this massive wall, and it, and it's a darkened room, but lit in the centre of the room was this one life jacket. Amazing. And then you walk around and and there's a section talking about the root cause of the accident and there are the keys to the binocular store from the crow's nest which happened to be in the second officer's pocket and he had to get off the ship in Southampton and he didn't get back on and so there were no keys and so the people that were in the crow's nest couldn't open the box with the binoculars that would have led them to see the iceberg. Wow, what a story. That wasn't in the film. No, it wasn't in the film. <laughs> um, uh, so it's really impactful. And then the storytelling was amazing, but completely lost on me. So I was chatting to, I've made a new friend, Lucinda Lewis, the CEO of Catalyst Science and Discovery Centre. Um, and she was, we were like both say how amazing it was, uh, how impactful it was. And she was like, and yeah, and the dominoes. And I'm like, dominoes? What, what dominoes? And she was like, did you not? Did you not see when you were looking at all of the root causes, they wrote them on these big pillars that were toppling, showing you the, the, uh, the, the domino, domino effect. effect. I was like, okay, yeah, no, that was completely lost on me. Uh, so lesson <laughs> for you is you need to pay more attention to the interpretation next time. Completely clueless to the subtext of what was going on around me, but the story was amazing. The story is really cool. Yeah, I have never heard that before. That's in- that's really impressive. I think that that picture that you painted of all the names with the one kind of life jacket in the middle of it is so powerful. I can I can see it in my head, but yeah. I have, I've never seen it. 
and it, and it, it, that was only one of a dozen kind of really powerful memories that I've got of being just blown away by their storytelling and how they communicated what happened. It was just an amazing place. Nice. I'm glad I missed that. I couldn't make it to the conference this year because I was elsewhere. Absolutely. Um, what have you been doing recently? Where have you been? So but this is a very, very recent one. Literally last week, last Thursday, I was very kindly invited to go and visit the Ashmolean Museum, which is a free to enter museum. Um, but what I really liked is they have a very large donations area as you first walk in and you've got card donations. Beep. So easy. I never have cash. So that was a big thumbs up for me. Um, the museum is brilliant. I mean, it has some brilliant exhibitions in it that are there. You know, they're, they're always there. Um, but I was really keen to go and see their Colour Revolution exhibition, which is all around Victorian art, fashion and design. Some of you might not know this about me, but I, I mean, I, I, I was a graphic designer in the past. Actually, probably actually loads of you people know about that. I'll talk about that loads. <laughs> I was a graphic designer once upon a time and um, I was a packaging designer and just just design and colour and um, also I've got a real passion for kind of interior design as well. So all of these things just I have a big love of. So this exhibition for me was like, this is the one, this is a big tick. Um, What I found really fascinating is that Victorian Britain has this kind of connotation of being really dull and dreary and the exhibition was kind of exploring that 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 this this it's absolutely incorrect but they start with um queen victoria's morning dress uh, which is a really powerful image um so after prince albert's sudden death she plunged into a, a very very deep grief and she actually wore i didn't know this she wore black for the remaining 40 years of her life i had no idea that she well, I, I mean i knew she she mourned for a really long time i had no idea she never wore an, an, another color again so she's obviously such a, an iconic image uh, an iconic person of that era that that image probably sticks with you which is why you know it adds to that illusion of you know victorians loving the dark completely um but they didn't they really loved color and they love to experiment with it. And they have a big thing about kind of insects and animals and bringing that into like the colours that they wore and the jewellery, like some of the jewellery, like this beetle necklace was just, it's incredible. And there is a lot of, you know, I know that they have a lot of that in their kind of fabrics and their and their kind of artwork from that time as well. But um, what I really love, it's really small artefact in the museum that I just I totally love. So it was a very early color chart you know like a paint a paint sample yeah, yeah, color yeah. chart so this is quite current for me at the minute my office is full of furnishings because we're renovating a, a, a cottage in norfolk and i it's not ready but i've had to order all the things for it or find them off facebook marketplace and ebay and charity shops and vintage places and my office is full of um, so color charts <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff is like right up here at the moment um but anyway there was this an 1814 Scottish artist called Patrick Soame. And he tried to solve the problem of how to describe colour uh, by giving each one of them a name. And But he drew on nature to do this. So, you know, you have like mole's breath now from Barrow and Ball and, you know, <laughs> lichen green and th- those kind of stuff. Well, this is where this started in the Victorian age. So they're, they're, it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I posted it on my LinkedIn. But this this colour chart is just gorgeous and it gives a, a number for each colour. So number 54, its name was duck green, 
the animal that it was named after is the neck of mallard. I actually thought the colour was neck of mallard, which I I, I was like, that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, the vegetable that it was it is similar to is the upper disc of yew leaves. And the mineral is, uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this, salonite. And it, I Googled it. It is green. I had no idea what salonite is, but it's... Yeah, it's I mean, I, I would struggle green. to... I'd struggle to identify a yew tree, let alone the upper disc green <laughs> of a yew tree's leaf. Is is a yeah no. Well, there uh, you go. Jenny, honestly, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was really interesting, and that for me was like I know it's it's a really small artifact, but it was the standout one for me because it just connected with something that is so current for me at the moment. And um, it was fifteen pounds to go and see this exhibition, and that is money well spent. It's open now until the eighteenth of Feb, twenty twenty four. So totally get yourselves along to visit that. And also, their restaurant and food is top notch. Was it good? Was it really good? Okay, yeah. we'll talk about that another time. We've done a few of the uh, Oxford Uni museums, but we've not done the uh, the Ashmolean yet. So that needs to be on my list of places to go. Yeah, definitely worth a little visit. Um, okay, right. We're going to talk about interactivity today. Making your website more interactive can improve engagement, which is more likely to improve your conversion rate. Uh, but very few attractions have interactive elements, which is quite surprising, actually. Um, so we're going to talk about how you can make your site a bit more interactive and immersive. So one, the stat from the survey is that 53% of visitor attractions survey don't have any interactive elements on their websites. So that's like, I'm quite surprised about that because we, yeah. we went, you know, during the pandemic, we went all in on interactivity. You know, we had to, it was the only way that you could, you know, kind of get people to your site and get people engaged in what you were doing. And we're talking about things like virtual tours, uh, interactive maps, or even just integrating video and audio on your site is a way of making it interactive as well. So, yeah, I was quite surprised that it was it was so low, actually. Yeah, it surprised me as well, um, because a lot of the people that we talk to want that kind of interactive content added into their sites. Do you think, and I'm not trying to make us idiots here again, because we did enough of that on last <laughs> on the last episode, yeah. but do you think that people understand that video and audio is an interactive element? That's a good point. Or, or is our expectation of it to be more? So, like, do we because audio and video, you know, do, do we see that as a standard thing now? We don't see that as an as a as a special element. That could be absolutely true. And you know, we talked a lot about things that we could do to improve the survey for next time. There's a real risk, isn't there? Because you could ask a lot more very detailed questions. Do you have a virtual tour? Do you have an interactive map? Do you have video and audio on your site? Um, and now all of a sudden we've gone from one question to three questions and we're asking too, ma- too much of everybody when they fill yeah, stuff in. Sure. So it, it, you end up having to have broader questions, but those broader questions themselves become a little ambiguous. So maybe there's an element of, you know, that it, it could be that, that there's a bunch of people in that 53% of people that don't have interactivity that may have stuff that is, you know, video or audio that we would consider to be interactive. But they don't. Do you think as well that we, because, you know, life has gone back to relative normality for for the majority of us, that we just are not engaging with those things as much or they just not seem to be as relevant anymore? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It, uh, We talk about audience personas and and trying to personalise the site to give people exactly the content that's relevant to them. Um, Who is the target audience for the virtual tour? Is the target audience for a virtual tour 
the people that are going to come and visit? Is it a way of enticing people to come and physically come on site? Is it a way of extending the reach of the the attraction? Or you know, it, let's say it's a cultural or museum kind of uh, of setting. Is it a way for them to extend the reach of their collection to people that can't come? You know understanding what the interactivity is there for mm. and how it enables the audience to achieve the goal that they're trying to achieve and for the client, the attraction themselves, to be able to achieve what their goal is for that audience group is interesting. It, it, interactivity for its own sake doesn't help anyone if you're not really thought about why you're putting it there. Yeah. I, I was just trying to think, I've got a really good a good case study of this and I've forgotten the name of the place and I, so I, I'm gonna I want to I want to talk about it but I've forgotten the name of it so I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you an explanation of it so uh years ago so oh god I think this is in 2015 Lee and I went to Australia on, on holiday um Lee actually asked me to marry him in Australia at Ayers Rock it's very romantic oh wow but uh, one of the best <laughs> I should say that was the best trip obviously that was the best trip that, the of best course time. Um, but one of the other best trips that we went on while we were there was um, <laughs> when we were in Melbourne, we went uh, to see, we went to, um, I've got the island and I've forgotten the name of the island. It's come off my, totally out of my head, but we went to see the little penguins. So the penguin parade that comes in, they, these these uh, penguins come in to shore every night and you can go and watch them come in. It's like an army of miniature penguins. And it's like, it genuinely is the most magical thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And you can't take photos because it uh, it hurts their eyes. So you know you are you are literally you're, you're immersing yourself into this experience. Yeah, um, and it's all up here in my head. Well, during the pandemic, they started live broadcasting it on Facebook, and I was no. like, "Shut up! This is amazing." Because it's an expensive trip back to Australia, but I'd love yeah. to go and do that again. Jen would absolutely one hundred percent go back and do that again. Um, but this was like a magic opportunity to sit in my in my home office and watch and watch it as well so those kind of opportunities i think are are pretty magical you reminded me of uh in the middle of lockdown i was obsessed by watching the uh, webcam at uh monterey bay aquarium (laughs) i just thought something else i got obsessed about a little a few weeks ago which was the i watched the webcam sandringham have got no is it sandringham or balmoral one of them have got a webcam with the red squirrels i think it's balmoral (laughs) i got absolutely like totally obsessed with it i had it on in the corner of the screen just while i was working just going is it there yet is it back here red squirrel red squirrel i think it might be the two of us were looking at penguins and uh uh, sea otters during the height of the pandemic when we were desperate to travel now watching red squirrels on a webcam might be might, might not have the same justification for the it's rest really, of your day's work it's really cool <laughs> it was it's really cool you don't get to see red squirrels very often so no you don't anyway none, apologies none down here went off on a total tangent yeah, then. but did. you can see look like we've got really animated about this so you can totally see the value of 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 having those kind of experiences on your website and being it to engage with with, with different audiences should we do a stat should we should we talk about some numbers yeah, yeah. what's the benefits <laughs> yeah so hubspot again we talk about hubspot data all the time but hubspot found that interactive content like quizzes assessments and polls can increase time spent on a website by 80 percent um, that one's straight lifted straight out of the survey um, that we put into there. Um, but there's some more. There's uh, the Content Marketing Institute shows that 81% of marketers agreed that interactive content grabbed more attention than static content. But you know that 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 chimes with the data that we gathered from people, doesn't it? Because a lot of people do think that this is important stuff. 
Mm. Uh, maybe not quite to the same same level that we that the content marketing institute found, but but obviously people in the, the the results set from our survey thought that this was important. Yeah, and I think it I think it depends on what that interactive content is. So interestingly, uh, when we did the live webinar for the report, we had someone on the webinar mention that they were a bit worried about distraction. So you know, we talk a lot about you know focusing people's attraction uh, attention on the job in hand which is ultimately showcase what your attraction does get them to buy a ticket and you know this person said you know are we distracting them from those journeys by doing that but I don't know if it's part of the purchase journey I think it might be post-purchase it feels for me like post-purchase you know getting them to come back and engage in your site repeat visit stuff that just just those things around quizzes and and assessment and polls and stuff like that and also you know this example that I just gave about the little penguins I absolutely will go back to that place one day and being able to engage with it keeps it front and center of my yeah. mind to go when we go back to Australia I'm going to take my kid to see that because she's gonna she will love it I'll make sure she loves it you know and, and I think I don't know if it's part of the the, the 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 first point of engagement I think it's it's post post-purchase engagement that's interesting yeah anyway what are the problems like problems uh sustainability yeah Shall I shall I share a bugbear of mine that mm-hmm. I share regularly in meetings all the time? Um, but uh, a lot of interactive content, especially the stuff that uses video, can be inherently un- unsustainable. And a lot of people don't think of the impact that websites can have on CO2 emissions. Yeah, it's a link that I don't think many people make. I certainly didn't until... You know, there's been a lot of talk around the in in our industry about this in the last couple of years, and it's really opened my eyes up. It, it, it's easy to understand uh, if you work for an airline, you can see the CO2 emissions coming out the back of the plane. But if you if you build websites, you don't see it necessarily. Yeah. But video consumes bandwidth, and bandwidth takes you know all, all of these things: the, the compute power to produce the video and 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 publish it out onto the internet, uh, and then to shift all of that data across the internet ultimately uses energy and that energy comes at the cost of of producing co2 um so one of the obvious ways you know if we're just talking about video itself because video is one kind of more interactive element um avoiding uh auto playing videos which is my absolute bugbear when you land on a home page of a website and the video auto plays that for me now that my eyes have been opened to the impact of it i only used to see the conversion rate benefit but now the cost associated with that is kind of is clear in my mind and and i think if we can avoid doing that and find other ways to increase conversion i think that's really important um but also doing things to to make sure that we understand what the the sustainability impact of of the web pages that we produce so as we make our web pages more complex they will produce more co2 as a result of doing that and i think as people become more aware of this the world is going to change at the moment the people that buy from us this is not something that is front and center of their minds in the buying process i think at the moment and there's there's a lot of power in the hands of the the marketers and the procurement people to make it so that technical people like us that that build things are required to to take that sustainability perspective into account when we're building things and making sure that we build things sustainably and then there's accessibility so 
interactive elements can be really great for people that can't visit your site for one example however the the digital aspect of that means that you could intentionally put something on your site which actually is less accessible for people who have uh, visual impairments or hearing impairments for example yeah absolutely if you've got video with audio have you got subtitles if you've got video do you have audio descriptions that describe what the video is showing um, if you've got an interactive map how would you provide a more accessible way of being able to see the interactive map if you've got a 3d interactive immersive virtual tour how will you interact with that if you can't see it to interact with it those those are all things that people need to be thinking about and many of the institutions that we, we work with um, we'll have a statutory obligation to think about it as well it's not just a nice to have it's a statutory obligation to do it as well yeah for sure okay so who's doing it well um i think we should just caveat this one by saying that these sometimes we uh, so our report and su- a survey and subsequent report are all anonymous um if we ever share anyone's information that is in relation to the report data we have asked for their express permission prior to this uh, prior to sharing um in this instant um we've just gone out and found some stuff on people's websites and gone we really like this this is really cool so we're not talking about these uh, these institutions in relation to survey data no absolutely should we talk about the first one in our list was mary rose trust and the mary rose museum has got an amazing array of uh, interactive artifacts that they've lifted off the bottom of the seabed and uh, made it available on the website so you can come i was going to say you can pick it up but uh, you know you can you with can your interact. mouse you yeah. can turn it around <laughs> not with your hand yeah not yet the technology isn't quite there yet <laughs> um but yeah you can you can interact with those artifacts and i think that's pretty amazing for, a, for an organization like them to be able to share those because they've got uh, an amazing collection of of Tudor artifacts and to be able to share those with the outside world is 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 a, you know, really impressive yeah so that's like a simple technology where you can kind of 3d model the artifact and you can spin it around and you can click on elements of it that will tell you a little bit about this part of it or where it was found or you know the condition of it etc cetera, etc cetera. so that is super cool what was the other one on, the, on this list that you were like this is great i really loved the museum of london's victorian walk uh, it's a 3D tour affair, um, and obviously they've scanned, uh, taken photos, and composed this together into this really cool 3D tour system that you can just move around and, and, and experience what life is like on a Victorian walk. Um, I, I was really, I was blown away by just, it, 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 you know, you were talking about the colour of Victorian England. Yeah, it was a really colourful experience. So in my mind, it was a bit like going into Diagon Alley in in, in Hogwarts in, in the Harry Potter world. It, it felt that kind of um, side street of London kind of thing, but you really got into it. It was very cool. Oh, that's one for me. So I should go and do that and do a little comparison of, what, of how colourful it was based on my yeah. Ashmolean experience. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Um, next steps that someone can take if they're thinking about stuff like this so what assess what you can do really quickly and easily so what do we already have yeah a lot of people are already going to have stuff aren't they so you know what video have they got what audio have they got um were they like mary rose and had a bunch of of 3d scans of their artifacts that then you can stick into a tool and put onto your website you know 
uh, obviously if you've got a large collection and you want to 3d scan everything and put it onto your website that's not that's that's not a trivial undertaking is it but if you've already got uh the 3d scans of stuff and you need to then make it available on the website then you know the step might be relatively much simpler than, than scanning your whole collection yeah so have a look through you know your video your audio your 3d elements what do you already have what can you make more of and then what can you easily add to your current site yeah absolutely um a lot of websites can add video and audio just straight out of the box i'm going to get a bit geeky and talk about iframes but essentially an iframe is a little cut out area of your website that you can post a little bit of content into that a lot of different interactive tools on the on the web will enable you to do so uh those the 3d models um there's there's a tool that you can you can create 3d models of the world in that we've used on a number of different projects and then you just embed it as an iframe which is essentially take a a a url of your 3d scan and you pop it into your website and it comes out and works on the page as is it's pretty awesome and takes so little effort for your developers to be able to add it to the site and then think about what you could commission or think about some of the things that you could potentially look at as a larger piece of project work yeah i mean there's a brainstorming exercise there isn't there of trying to get lots of people together and come up with creative ideas and think about what you can do some of the other stuff that we've talked about easy doesn't take a lot of effort you've got you've got the assets already or it's relatively easy to add them to your site but what else could you do that takes a lot of effort ask um, your visitors <laughs> ask ask people what they what more they'd like to see yeah figuring out what your audience wants and how do you get them to that is step number one isn't it okay and then what kind of budget are we looking at for some of these things this is a how long's a piece of string kind of question mm. this one isn't it? it's really really hard uh, you know adding interactive maps onto your site that are fully accessible and easy to use i guess you're looking at a few thousand pounds to be able to do that potentially less depends on what you want to put into your interactive map um video and audio if your website already supports it and you've got a whole library of this stuff that you want to share with the outside world it could cost you nothing but the time it takes you to add it to the site mm-hmm. and then you get into some of the more complex elements like the you can imagine that pr- creating a a 3d kind of immersive uh, uh virtual walkthrough that that's not a trivial job that no. that if you want to go and uh, photograph an entire exhibit um walk around the whole floor plan of your museum and create an amazing virtual tour of that that that's going to take some effort both yes. in terms of getting the right people to turn up with the right kit to be able to do that uh photography um and then in terms of the technology that's needed to to turn that into a virtual tour and then the effort to embed that into the to the website itself um could be amazing probably not a cheap exercise no substantial investment and you just need to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and for the right audience as well um also podcast if you are thinking about doing a podcast for your museum or your attraction which i think is a genius idea (laughs) uh, (laughs) give us a shout and we'd be happy to share some of our um kind of top tips i think we did an episode on it back in the day with paul griffith from paynes hill park who actually he interviewed me on this podcast uh, and we talked about some of the reasons that we did it how we set it up um and some of the kind of costumes around that as well so it's worth having a little bit through dig through the archives 
Um, but if you've got any questions on that, then yeah, give us a shout. Thank you. Good chat again today. I enjoyed this. Been good, hasn't it? Yep. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.